That being said, open up your Bibles now to the book of Ephesians. <sighs> Ephesians. And I'm going to read verses 1 through 14. I'm going to teach verses 1 through 6. This will be the third week in a row I've read verses 1 through 14 because I'm hoping and anticipating that you all, with me all, get into Ephesians more and get Ephesians into you. How many of you guys have been reading Ephesians, maybe just a little bit more, this week or last than you were a year ago? Okay, good. Get into the book, read it, get to know it because it changes everything. And I want you to understand from an aerial point of view, as Paul writes this, he does it from a prison cell. And he considers his church hundreds of miles away, and he says, what do they need to hear about right now? My conditions, my woes, or do they need to be equipped with all that is already given to them in Christ? How can I, as their pastor, in my absence, give to them all the riches that they already have? They already have everything in Christ, and I want them to be equipped. I don't want them to live in Ephesus, which, by the way, was at that time one of the fourth largest cities in the world it was the world-known banking system, gods and goddesses, plurality of deities, craziness, all kinds of debauchery and temple prostitutes and just all kinds of stuff. And Paul looks at his church and says, whoa, how are they going to do it? Maybe I should give them a shovel and they should dig a hole for themselves and hide. Maybe we should make a little tunnel and say, us four no more, bar the door. <laughs> Tell them what kind of ammunition to supply and how, no, no. He doesn't do any of that. Given the understanding of that environment, of that culture, he writes to them things that pertain to their heavenly reality. I'm going to say this now. I'll say it later. You all, we all, us all, whether you're a Christian or non-Christian, are a spirit having a human experience. Okay? We're not humans having a spiritual experience. We're, we're spirits having a very short-term human experience. This is short-term. Our spiritual journey is as far as I can see. And so many of us are dominated and depressed by our human experience. What's going on right around me? My fatigue, my disease, my cell that I'm stuck in, my marriage that seems like a cell that I'm stuck in, my job that seems like a marriage of, that's a cell that I'm stuck in, whatever it is. You can find yourself in a culture gone crazy. You can find yourself in a relationship that's not exactly what you intended. And Paul looks to his church and says, okay, okay, I don't want you to forget the riches that you've received. I can't change the culture. I can't stop the insanity around you, but I can equip you to navigate well through it. And you can be a warrior for Christ. You can be an ETW, an end times warrior in your high school, in your job place, in your marriage, with the next election looming. And we have no idea what's going to happen. I just, I'm smiling because it's going to be funny, whatever happens. <laughs> I mean, maybe I'm an idiot. I am an idiot, but I'm just, it's funny to me. I'm glad that I have my identity. I'm glad that I have my inheritance. I'm glad I have my citizenship in heaven, primarily, okay? Secondarily, I'm, I'm a dual citizenship person, okay? Dual citizenship. I live in heaven eternally forever and ever. That can't be stopped, but I'm also here for a short time, just a little bit. It's actually real small. But I don't know about you, but I want that real small short time to be awesome, don't you? I want it to be legit. And I want it to be bookworthy. I want it to be awesome. I want every single day to be better than the last and even just a little bit more than I can imagine. Okay, and I want to do that with Christ in mind, with the 
object of my affection being heaven, lest I be dominated or depressed by my secondary reality. So I'm going to read now and ask God to bless us with this, what I would call doctrine and theology. Okay? Um, not so much a storyline as much as it is what Christ has done. And so there's a lot of uh, indicatives uh, in here and a lot of imperatives uh, that come out of here. So let, read verse 1 with me. He says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. And it's to the saints who are in Ephesus and faithful in Christ Jesus. He says, grace to you and peace from God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. He goes on in verse 3. This is what he's thinking about in jail. I don't know about you, what you would be thinking about in jail. He's thinking about all the blessings that are in God. I'm so blessed. I just got to write it down. You're in jail, bro. <laughs> doesn't stop, doesn't change. He says this in verse three, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Just as he chose us in him, he goes on to then unpack uh, verses three through 14 is the longest sentence in Greek literature. One breath. <gasps> Let me tell you how great it is from jail. In Ephesus? No, no, in heaven. Let me tell you how great it is because you probably feel like you're in jail or in Ephesus. And the reality is, take your pulse, <laughs> you are. So our blessings are in heavenly places. Verse three, he goes on to say, just as he, he unpacks the benefits of Christ. Verse four, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and without blame before him in love having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace by which he made us accepted in the beloved. Verse seven, he says, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. It's all what Jesus has done for you. It's all in the past. We now unpack it in the, presence, or in the present, verse 8, which he made to abound toward us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of the times he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth in him. Can you just trip out on that verse a little bit? We're not going to get there today. God in the fullness of times, that is when Christ arrived. He gathered together all things that are in heaven and all things that are on earth and put them in Christ. I don't even know what that means. It's crazy. I mean, how's that work? We're spirits having a human experience. We are eternal beings, okay? The Bible says in chapter two, we'll get there in a little bit, that he sees us as seated with him in heavenly places. You're already there. This is over. You, you win. You win. And your knowledge of your victory will help you then in your play time, in your game time, in your duty time, in what you do. As you believe that what Christ has already done is sufficient, it's enough, it's sealed, it's delivered, it's signed, it can't be ex exterminated, it can't expire, you're going to then love your wife, you're going to love your husband, you're going to love your boss, you're going to love your government. Oh, we can't do that. Yes, you can. Oh, no. Yes. <laughs> we'll get there we'll get there where are we verse 10 verse 11 someone tell me 11 in him where in him. interesting interesting thank you victoria in him was that victoria was that you 
Thank you. In him, we also have obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, that we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of his glory. Did you know that that's the goal of God is for you to trust him? It's the goal of every company in the world that puts a commercial out on the air. Just trust us. Just trust us. Three easy installments. You'll be fine. Go with us. You'll save. Trust us. Root for us. Trust Trust Jesus. Trust him. Choose to trust him. Choose to put your faith. Choose to put your feelers. Choose to put your future in Christ, as it says in verse 12, that we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of his glory. In him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise who's the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. Would you bow your heads and pray with me now? Father, in Jesus' name, as we study the benefits of being in Christ, we do so from a war zone. We do so from down here, stuck with me, myself, and I. We do so here, stuck with the wisdom and the ways of the world. We do so. We study the benefits of Christ hidden in you, sealed in heaven. We study that, Lord, in a spiritual war against sin and Satan and temptation. And so, Jesus, now in the midst of our battle, in the midst of our plight, in the midst of our fight, we ask, Lord, that faith would be born, that we would trust you, that we would believe in you, that it wouldn't be so much, at least not today, at least not with this sermon, at least not in chapter one, what we can do for you, but that we would freak out because of what you've done for us, that we would start with what Jesus has accomplished with what Jesus has offered, with what Jesus has declared to be true, what he's already given to us, he's supplied it. And I don't know how many people there are here this morning who are living as if the checks from heaven are rubber, that have been holding on to them and not depositing them into their own account of faith, but instead are wondering, is this true? Can I be chosen, adopted? Can I, am I blameless and holy, really? Because I got a story. So, Lord, I pray in Jesus' name now, as your word is read, as it is taught and preached, that salvation would be ours, that faith would be born, and it would all be to the praise of the glory of your grace. That all of us in here would shake our heads and say, God is more good than I even understand. He is good, and he's good all the time, but he's, even, he's more than that. He's good even when I'm bad. He's good when I don't deserve it. I've never deserved his goodness, and yet his goodness has been given to me. Lord, I pray in Jesus' name that you and your glory would grow in our eyes, and that our walk would be changed because of it. Father, I submit myself to you as your teacher today and asking for great grace uh, to deliver this message to the praise and glory of your grace. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 How many of you in here today, this morning, would say of yourself, you're not quite sure that you know everything? All right, a bunch of students, we're here, and we're willing to say, I don't know everything, but I drive like I do. 
you know. I fill out my ballot like I do. I order at the drive-thru like I do. But, I, you're, you're, but in a real question, Q&A, do you know everything in the world? You're like, no, of course not. I know more than you, though, Pastor. You know? <laughs> Listen, most of us in here would be quick to say, yeah, we don't know everything. We actually have a lot to learn. I'm realizing in my short life at age 37, I act like I know everything. Like I just kind of come off that way, and I want to know everything, but I don't know a whole bunch. And I find myself humbled every single day. And I wish I would come to that conclusion quicker. Like, I just don't know this person's intention. I just don't know the outcome. And I don't even know all the options and solutions we have here. And I'm willing to just open up my eyes a little brighter and be a student of life and learn a thing or two. I remember one time I went over to a friend's house and they were complaining about a plug on the wall, a wall socket that didn't work. No matter what you plugged into this wall socket, it didn't produce any power. And it's like, what's wrong with this plug? I asked him, I said, do you also have in the same room a switch that doesn't do anything? <laughs> yeah, as a, as a matter of fact, I do. This switch over here doesn't do anything either. The switch is broken. The plug is broken. <laughs> Most of you know where this is going. And I said, well, let's plug something into the broken plug, and then let's use the broken switch and see if together they might fix each other. And you guys know that the switch activated the plug, and if you, you know... You seen this? Somebody just learned that from now? <laughs> Brand new. Let's go home. <laughs> that plug. Listen. Here's the deal. There's some switches in your own life that they're not working. There's some plugs in your own life. God says this, and it doesn't work. Something's not, it's not working. Okay, it actually, it actually does work. Okay? It's just that it hasn't translated down. It's not being uh, interpreted or applied right to your life. And here Paul is saying to the church at Ephesus, not bail me out, not send money, not put money on my, not help me, but I need you to understand, okay, that the switch of Christ has been activated, that the power to plug your life in, it's there, that all things, the benefits to live in Ephesians, in Ephesus. If you studied the book of Acts, man, the church at Ephesus was nuts. If you studied history at all, Artemis, the temple, the seventh wonder of the world was there. The temple of Diana was there. Riots and craziness went down there. They chanted for four hours in a stadium like this that held 65,000 people. A stadium, they chanted. Read the book of Acts. They, they talked about Diana being the goddess of the world for four hours straight while they're trying to kill the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul the whole time is trying to go in there. Can I just talk to him? Can I? All his advisors are like, Paul, they're not going to listen today. They're kind of fired up. Part of me would want to leave Ephesus, wouldn't you? Let's just go somewhere else. Let's become missionaries elsewhere. Let's not stay here. And instead, Paul sends a letter to them in their environment and says, I want to equip you. I want you to know how to navigate and to be a business owner and to be a mom and to be single and to be married and to be young and to be old and to be loved and to be hated and to be this and to be that in Christ. There's such diversity even in this room, and yet there's such unity because we're all in Christ. That's what holds us together, and that's the glue and the foundation that caused this church at Ephesus to be fruitful and faithful because it all goes back to what Jesus has already done. And last night, I almost started laughing as I went to bed as I was considering Paul, Paul, who was Saul, the requested one, killing Christians, hating Jesus, and now in jail. He can't stop talking about Jesus and all that you get from him. Just trip out a little bit. Once Paul found out who Jesus was, and by the way, before he wrote this book, he spent 13 years in the Saudi Arabian desert by himself learning about Jesus, okay, in Damascus by himself. 
We're not even quite sure what happened then. It's, that's where he received the revelation. That's where God showed him who he was. And it was at that point Barnabas found him and said, Saul, come on, I got this revival going on over here in Antioch. There's a bunch of Gentiles. I figure you could communicate the gospel to them. He comes out of hiding with the gospel of riches and now begins to share it with everybody and anybody who would listen to him. How many of you guys feel like right now your life is out of control? Um, maybe the pressure's too high. The stakes are too high. Maybe you've done too wrong. Maybe you're, you're, there's no hope for you. You've missed the opportunity. You're too old. Or maybe even you're too young. I just, how many of you guys feel you have found yourself unable to accomplish all that you want to do? Okay, you need the book of Ephesians. You need to know that what Christ has already put into your spiritual account, you can draw out of it. But what God has already declared can't change. It's been sealed, it's been signed, and the guarantee is the Holy Spirit dwelling with you. I'm 37 years old. I've been doing pastor work for it since I was 20. And I forget how crazy it was before I gave my life to the Lord. And sometimes you forget how crazy it was, where God has rescued you from and put you right now. Has God delivered you from craziness? Has God already shown himself eh, pretty strong? Has he changed everything about you and yet you're like me? There's more giants coming. There's more obstacles, more challenges, more interpersonal relationship things and more stuff to deal with and more. When God led the children of Israel into the promised land, he left all the giants there. And they looked at him like, oh, I don't know if you know this, but there's still giants here. Just letting you know. And he said, yeah, I did that on purpose. I did that for you and I did it for the land. For if all the giants were taken out of the land, the land would become overgrown. It'd become just too much work. Trust me, I got this whole reason they're there. And I'm going to deal with it a little bit at a time. I'm going to walk with you daily. It's a daily deal. It's like manna. I just gonna daily. I need you to check in with me daily. The riches, the resources, the reality of Christ is daily. Not just on Sunday, not just when you got saved, not just when you got baptized, not just when you got clean, when you got dry, when you got sober, when you got healed, daily. Okay, the riches. And I think there's a lot of us uh, that live as if the switch is broken. We, we, it, it, we don't know. We, just, we stopped even trying because we don't realize what Christ has provided for us already. It reminded me of a commercial that came out during the Super Bowl in 2006. And I think we can play it here, uh, maybe right now. It, it'll come up. Hi. Hi. I was marooned on an island for five years with this package. And I swore that I would deliver it to you because I work for FedEx. That's very admirable. Thank you. Hey, well, by the way, what's in the package? Huh, nothing really. Just a satellite phone, GPS locator, fishing rod, water purifier, and some seeds. Just silly stuff. Thank you again. You keep up the good work. It's funny every time. Every time it's funny. This guy has this package on this island for years. Five years marooned. And at his, at his fingertips, a satellite phone, a water purification system, a GPS location device, and some seeds for growing vegetables. Just silly stuff. 
and how many Christians are here today struggling with being marooned in relationships, marooned in your finances, marooned in your morality. Uh, what do I do? God's provided for that. Okay, He has overseen your life. And you have ruined it, and so have I, and we've made mistakes, and we will in the future. Do you believe that Christ has already provided for all your needs? That he's already gone before you? You know how beautiful it would be if God got a hold of you, and you got saved, and your sins were forgiven you, and God says, right on, forgiven, zero balance, you owe me nothing, now go out and don't blow it. Would that, would that, would that be scary? Because you would leave, all right, I'm not going to blow, blow it, and you already blew it. God doesn't just forgive us of our sins at the beginning and reset it to zero, okay? That would last like to the parking lot. You're done. You already blew it. You already had that thought. You're already mad at that person. You already got scared. Whatever happened. Instead, God has made provision for you throughout your life, and he has sealed you, and the Holy Spirit with you is your guarantee. Now, you don't deserve this. This is why we struggle. Okay, this is why we have issues, because we know our flesh and we know our faults. And so he uses this word that I say the whole book of Ephesians hinges on, and it's called grace. Okay, you know the acronym for grace. It's God's riches at Christ's expense. It's what God has provided for you because Christ didn't fail, because Christ didn't stumble, because Christ didn't fall short when you and I did. And when you and I heard that, we trusted in him. Grace flows to the lowest point. Do you know that? When you as a saint, when you as a sinner, when you as a Christian, humble yourself and say, I believe that. What do you believe? I believe that I haven't done it perfectly, that I have made mistakes. I believe that I am like a guy marooned on an island. I am like the church at Ephesus. I am like a sinner. But I do believe the good news that God's provided for me. I trust in him and grace flows to the lowest point and God covers you, he seals you, he equips you. And this list is exhaustive about what God gives to you and me in Christ. Yet finally, or should I say it this way, I find that a lot of Christians walk throughout life not victorious, okay? With a package that's sealed. Everything we need to do well, to be better, to live victorious. And there's a lot of Christians, maybe this is you from time to time, that are just trying to survive. Not realizing that God has given to you everything to thrive. He actually wants your life to be, listen, this is crazy, ready? He actually wants your life to be, listen, this is crazy, ready? He actually wants your life to be to the praise of the, gra of the glory of his grace. He literally has sought people who have a dark story in order to resurrect them, to seal them, to adopt them, to predestine them, to choose them, to seal them. He's done that on purpose to the praise of the glory of his grace. The darker your story, the greater his glory. The bigger the giant, the harder they fall, okay? And when David showed up, wouldn't it be rad if David just showed up in faith and the giant just fell over because God does all the work? That's not how it works. David showed up and he did what David does. He was a rock thrower. He's a shepherd. That's what he did. That's what he did. That's what he did. What do you do? Okay, do it well. Just what you do. Don't worry about what King Saul did. They tried to get King David to do what King Saul did. Here's a sword. Here's a shield. Here's some stuff. It's what I do. He's like, I throw rocks. Well, let's try that. Each one of you are individually crafted in God's image, redeemed and sealed by Christ's work to be you to slay giants, to walk by faith, to love your spouse, to love your neighbors, to forgive those who've hurt you, to forgive yourself for your stuff. How? The riches of Christ, making withdrawals, drawing on what God has already done for you. It's the benefits of Christ. And what does that even look like? Because here's the deal. You, you and I, we both have dual citizenship. 
That is, we're going to heaven, we're spirits having a human experience, but we're also humans down here having what I would call a secondary experience. Okay, call it Second Life if you want. No, don't call it that. There's actually a whole website to do that. Don't do that. Okay. Our, our primary identity and our secondary identity. Our primary identity is in Christ. Okay, the Bible says this. Whatever you do, whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do it to the glory of who? God. God. That's your primary identity. Man, you be, that's, that's your primary deal. Your secondary identity, though, is what you do, who you are, where you live, what you look like, your race, your gender, your occupation, your hobbies, your lobbies, everything about you. Each one of you are doing it, okay? How many of you guys are looking forward to springtime, green grass, carrots growing in the garden? Anybody? Nine of you? Right on. <laughs> I'm excited about it. That's my secondary identity, okay? How many of you guys haven't washed your car like in 19 months? You know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> I want that car to be clean. You know, that's your secondary identity. You know, how many of you excited about getting in shape or doing something right or going on a vacation or, or doing a date with your spouse or something or, or accomplishing or graduating? How many students we got here? I want to graduate. I want to be successful. Your secondary identity, listen to this. Every one of us have one, and you're supposed to, and you need to do it well, okay? But if you don't have a, if you don't, just a big if, if you don't have a primary identity, which is I'm, I'm, a, I'm a little Christian, I'm going to heaven when I die. Like, this whole oxygen thing, this whole eyes of faith thing, this is temporary. If you don't have that primary identity as your foundation, then your secondary identity will do two of two things, one of two things, or both. It will either dominate you or it will depress you. (laughs) That statement wasn't that profound, but now it was. (laughs) You'll never forget that point. If your primary identity, oh, and this is a, your primary identity can just alleviate so many burdens, so many problems. As a matter of fact, if you have a primary identity established, you can be like Paul in prison, laughing, asking for paper to write letters to people about how good life is. If your primary identity is established, okay? Your secondary identity, if your primary identity is not there, your secondary identity will do one of two things. It will either dominate you or it will depress you. It'll be every, it'll dominate you. It'll be everything you're living for. It'll be your whole goal to be fit, to be famous, to be fabulous, to be fortunate, to have all this stuff of the world. Or it will not dominate you, it will depress you because as you get those things and as you pursue fame and as you pursue fortune and as you pursue commerce and as you pursue material possessions, you'll get them, but you, maybe you found this to be true. It actually doesn't give you what you thought it would give you. Okay? It's not intended to. You're a spiritual person having a human experience, and you are spiritually tuned to be fulfilled primarily with your eternal identity. So again, if, I'm, if, if any of this is making sense, I just want to say it one more time. You should pursue a great secondary identity. Okay? You should be a good boss, be a good employee, be a great spouse, be a good dad, a good mom, be a good neighbor, a good student. Be great at it. Okay? And let your greatness and your smile grow as you do what you do and pursue what you pursue and attain what you attain and fail at what you fail at because you know that this isn't my primary. This is actually just fun. This is bonus time. This, is actually, this actually doesn't count. What counts is eternity. And that's what I'm focused on. Whatever I do, I do to the glory of God. And I get to, I get to fall. I get to stumble. It's like, you ever been bumper bowling? That's so fun. You throw that thing behind your back. You throw it under your legs. Man, you can just have fun with it because it's guaranteed you're going to hit something right? (laughs) No wonder nobody invites me to go bowling with them. (laughs) And in Christ, you're guaranteed. 
You're guaranteed. You're guaranteed. It's, it, the words he uses are extravagant. And he wants your primary identity to be so established that as you navigate your secondary identity, and it changes. Have you realized this? As you get older, uh, things change. Your health changes and your achievements change. And maybe what you had accomplished was so brilliant at one point, now nobody wants to talk about that. And you have forgot that it even happened. And listen, all of this is happening so quickly. And Jesus said it this way. Jesus warned everyone in Matthew 16. He said, hey, 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 be careful. Because you could pursue the whole world and you could get it all. And in pursuing the whole world, you could actually achieve it but lose your very soul. Most of us think he's talking about death, that we would pursue the wrong thing and then die wrong and end up going to hell and be separated from him, losing our soul. I would say it this way, though. While you got a pulse on earth, you can lose your soul even now on the day-to-day. That you can forget your primary identity and go after your secondary identity so much and all of a sudden you're soul sick. All of a sudden, that which you thought would make you happy and you're getting it, maybe you're even killing it in the world. You're doing better than anybody else, but there's something wrong with your soul. And Jesus warned us. He said, look, you're gonna have to figure this out. And so you do so based on what Christ has done for you. And the first word he uses in verse one, he addresses them as saints, the saints who are in Ephesus. And he calls them saints not because of what they've done. They lived in Ephesus. They hadn't done anything right. But because of the gospel that they had believed in, they have received sainthood by believing in Christ. That he has called them saints. And I would say it, as I said it last week, saints aren't better than most. They're just forgiven the most. Okay? To be a saint means that you know who Jesus is. That he has saved you. To be a saint literally means set apart. Okay? You don't set yourself apart. It's what he does to you when you believe in him. He takes you and sets you apart. And I would have you with me explore today what are the riches for saints? What does that look like? How does a saint um, act? I would say, firstly, saints are sensitive. Okay? You became a saint, listen, not by being great. Da, 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 da. Chimes going off when you walk in the room, walking in all saintly. You know how you became a saint? You became a saint because your conscience collided with Christ. And you realized, it's, I'm a mess. I'm an absolute disaster. And you found yourself being humbled in the presence of truth. Not everyone does this. And God was crowned king of your life, and you became a saint because you went low. I would say this. That's going to continue your whole life in your sainthood. In your identity in Christ, you're going to continue to stay sensitive and repentant. I would say Christians, as they grow in Christ, repent more and sin less. I hope this is happening. This is quite a quandary in my life. As my sins that I commit still as a 37-year-old man are less than they have been in the past, but my remorse and my repentance and even my regret are more because I'm closer to Christ. Okay? Here's the deal. Let me say this. If you have a sensitive conscience here today, you're blessed. Not everyone does. Some people have consciences that don't work very well. It doesn't bother me. I do this, it doesn't bother me. I do this, that doesn't bother me. They do that, it doesn't bother me. I actually sign off on that. And I will, I will say that's okay and your conscience is seared, it's messed up. There are others here today though, your conscience is soft. You're, 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 you're pricked when you have that attitude, when you say something, when you, when you look twice, when you shouldn't have, when you do something, when you're tempted, when you're tested. You need to celebrate that because as a saint, you're gonna be sensitive to God's leading. You guys know the difference between conviction and condemnation? You need to. Okay? They're both happening in your life right now. Okay? God is trying to convict you of stuff all the time. Why? Because he loves you. 
and he has better for you. Satan is trying to condemn you all the time because he hates you and wants you to quit. He wants you to run and hide, hide your stuff, freak out, panic. He wants all these things to happen. Let me just give you a quick list um, about conviction and condemnation. Okay? Conviction is from God and condemnation is from Satan. Uh, conviction leads to life every single time. God's desire is to convict you in order to lead you to better things. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Condemnation leads to despair, wanting to quit. Conviction leads and ends in joy. Condemnation always ends in sorrow. Conviction, for saints, makes us want to change. Condemnation makes us believe that we can't change. It's just too heavy. Conviction brings specific awareness of a sin, while condemnation brings uncertainty about our sin. Okay, conviction leads to a new identity in Christ, while condemnation leads to an old identity in sin. Conviction makes us look to Jesus. Condemnation makes us look to self. Conviction is always a blessing. Condemnation is always a burden. Did you know that when God convicts you as a saint, because some people wrestled with this last week, you're, you're a saint in Christ. It's already done, okay? And what God does for you now is he comes alongside of you and he gives you that gentle spirit to remind you, to aid you in your victory as you navigate out of sin and folly. And like a good father who sees his son or his daughter stumbling, like a good father, he'll walk over, he'll put his arm around you and gently educate you that this is not going to help you. This is an offense to the family. Now I'm going to help you. You're not exterminated. You're not expired. You're not expelled from the family. Instead, I'm going to walk with you gently this way, and I'm going to redeem even those actions of folly and sin. And that's what God does to you. That's what God does for me as a saint, okay? As a matter of fact, look at verse 1. He says, to the saints who are in Ephesus and the faithful in Christ Jesus. What are you full of faith in? Man, I'm... The more and 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 more I live, my faith is fully in Jesus Christ and not myself. Fully in what Christ has done and what Christ is doing and what Christ wants to do. And the faithfulness that you have needs to be in him and he'll help you as you walk with him in your own sensitivity to trust in Christ for the riches of Christ. It's not about you, okay? Condemnation from the devil will always make you think more about yourself, more about your sin. It actually feels kind of spiritual. It feels kind of holy a little bit. It's not. Conviction leads you to an alleviated release and refreshment that's not about you. It's about your Savior, Jesus Christ. And you are faithful in Christ. You are delivered in Christ. You are hidden in him. It's not about you. You didn't deserve it. As a matter of fact, let's look to the hinge verse. Look at verse two. He goes on to say, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. This whole thing, the only way it can happen is by God's riches at Christ's expense. Grace. Now, our system doesn't work this way, just so you know. You're not gonna understand this normally. If you told grace to somebody, they wouldn't get it. they say, oh, okay, like karma. No, that's, that's not, that's, no, it's not like karma, you know, it's not, you don't get what you deserve, okay? Oh, you mean like a debt, like he, we, we owe him now. We have a worker's, uh, a worker's system and a debtor's system in our society, okay? You either give me something, now I owe you, or I gave you something and you owe me. That's how it works. There's no such thing as grace, not in our society. That's why it takes a, a, a mindset of God and a declaration of Paul for us to consider that it is grace that truly gives us the peace that passes understanding. If it was up to you to achieve it, it can be up to you to lose it. Okay? Be careful. There's some Christians here today that actually have received faith through grace, and you're walking in it, but now you're scared. You don't want to blow it. 
man, if he sees me, oh, man, he's going to smack me so hard. <laughs> I wonder if that's the voice of condemnation. I wonder if that's the voice of the accuser, the brethren, who wants to confuse you and how you even began in this walk of faith. It was a gift of Christ. It doesn't change. It's grace. Uh, Chuck Smith wrote a book many years ago. You can get it on Amazon or iTunes books, and it's called Why Grace Changes Everything. It absolutely changes everything. In a law-based society, in a debtors-based, works-based society, grace from God changes everything. It's his glory given to you. You don't deserve it. You can't earn it. You didn't merit it, but you need it. Well, how do I get it? <laughs> it's a gift, lest anyone should boast. As a matter of fact, chapters 1, 2, and 3 of Ephesians are all about what God has already done, 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 before he even begins to get into, now here's what you need to do. Chapters 4, 5, and 6, here's what you should do now because of your response to grace. Here's what you should do. Most Christians wake up in the morning, gotta do stuff, should do stuff, should do stuff. <laughs> we look at churches, you should do stuff, you know, Everyone should do stuff. Listen, Paul doesn't get there very quickly. He says, you need to know what he's already done because it, it will freak you out. It will change everything, and you'll do fine after that. You'll do plenty. If you do stuff before understanding what he's done for you, you're just religious. You're just moral, okay? You're just humanly successful, and you, the book of Galatians, have become an offense to him. The Bible says you've fallen from grace. When you forget to start with grace, it doesn't go well for you. You actually become a moralistic, therapeutic deist. Look it up later. <laughs> Paul always merges these two words together, grace and peace. You can't have peace without grace, at least not lasting. Okay, true peace really comes from God's grace, his kindness towards you when you don't deserve it. How do I get that? You humble yourself. Okay, you can't be prideful and receive God's grace. Grace flows down, not up. And when you're sensitive to the Lord's leading, he'll guide you, he'll convict you, and you'll find yourself saying, Lord, I've been a Christian for 20 years. I shouldn't struggle with this still. And all of heaven says, yeah, but we know you do. <laughs> Lord, I don't want to repent of this again. You need to. And when you do, <laughs> grace. Same way when you first believed. Why would Paul say this to the church at Ephesus? He wanted them to be like this man on the marooned island opening the package. Hey, you're in a war. Hey, you're, you're under pressure. I get it. Here's the package. Open it up. There's stuff you need for, for food, for fruit, for water. You're going to do fine. And yet stoically and with great valor, we just protect the package. We don't open it up. Grace. Grace is getting what I don't deserve, okay? Mercy's not getting what you do deserve. You guys know that, right? Grace and mercy, they're two separate things. Grace is getting what you don't deserve, and some religious people in here need to repent because you don't deserve grace, and you want to earn it. Why? Well, here's what I'll do. I'll just get up, and I'll read. Then God owes me. Then he'll be good to me. I'll get up, and I'll give. I'll, give. I'll do what the pastor said. I'll give 10% this year, and then God will be good to me. I'll pray more. God will be good to me. I'll have a quiet time. I'll be faithful, not in Christ Jesus. I'll be faithful in myself. How many of you guys have been faithful in yourself thus far this year? Like you're faithful. Like you memorized more verses this year than you ever have in your life. Really? Okay. <laughs> Simple question. 
we're not faithful in and of ourselves. We're trusting in what he has done. Listen, did you know that if you don't get up early in the morning and have a quiet time with the Lord, if you don't commit to giving uh, to God of your stewardship, if you don't commit to memorizing scripture, if you don't make sandwiches for the homeless but instead make sandwiches and eat them all yourself, (laughs) if you don't do those things, guess what? Get ready. He's still good. Nah. It's not how it works at my, with my employer. If I don't show up to work, I don't get paid. You know what I'm saying? That's how it works. We don't get grace. We don't want to believe it. That's why he starts right here. He says it's in Christ. Grace changes everything. Did you know, by the way, that when the grace of God that appears to all men, it teaches us to deny ungodliness? Titus chapter 1, verses 11 and 12 says. That when you receive it, when you actually believe it, when it actually comes your way, it impacts you so greatly that you then become a person who gives of your tithes. You become a person who wants to memorize the scripture. You become a person who just looks for ways to pack blankets in your car and pack sandwiches, not to eat for yourself, but to give. When, if you believe it, okay? The person who truly understands grace, who truly believes grace, doesn't abuse it. Instead, it becomes then the equipment, the riches of Christ for you to write checks to everyone. Man, God's been so good to me. It's crazy town if you believe it. God's not so much asking for you to give to... Listen. He's not so much asking for you to give to him more, but to receive from him more. The Bible says in Romans chapter 13 that it is all from him. It's all to him. It's all through him. It's all him. He just asks us to put ourselves in a position of obedience and submission to his grace. It changes everything. As a matter of fact, what are the other um, elements that come to us in Christ? Verse 2, again, grace to you and peace. This peace that you're searching for right now comes from grace. Just believe it. Ask him for it today. Ask for faith today. We're going to respond to worship in just a little bit. Look at verse 3. He says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who's blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. (laughs) Imagine Paul waking up this day, the day he wrote Ephesians. He's in jail. He's like, I'm going to write about all the blessings of God. Don't you guys want to talk about the blessings of God in this Roman jail? I don't know about you, but I didn't wake up feeling that way. He woke up thinking, I want you to know about the blessings of God in heavenly places. Okay? God has equipped us. He's given to us an inheritance. He's given to us a profundity that can't be they can't be touched that can't be chained he would go on in one of his other epistles to say that the gospel of jesus can't be chained it can't be stopped by prison walls or marooned island or divorced situations or diseased bodies or bankrupted finances or social settings that are complicated he can't be kept out of those situations do you know that raise your hand if you're a control freak raise your hand if you just got mad for calling you out We want to control our situation. We want it to be perfect. We want to have a blessing here, and we want to have this there. We don't want anyone to touch this. And he says, look, guys, look, gals. He says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who's blessed us with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. Okay? That's where the blessings are kept. That's where the blessings abound. Um, Earth uh, has lots of blessings on it, doesn't it? Okay? It's it's, it's a blessing to have a house. It's more of a blessing to have God. Okay. It's a blessing to have a car, isn't it? It's more of a blessing to have God. It's a blessing to have health, isn't it? Don't you love health? It's more of a blessing to have God. It's a blessing to have friends, social networks, and a reputation, and some influence. It's more of a blessing to have God. 
And here Paul in his cell says, God's blessed us with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. You might not have what you want, what you expected. You're looking for blessings in all the wrong places. And Paul would say to you, no, 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 it's in heavenly places. Do not forget, be equipped, open the package, live your life well, not based on your circumstances that are secondary, but your ones that are primary and established. God is greater. Paul wrote this from a prison cell. Can you imagine reading this for the first time? Knowing that Paul wrote this from a situation that was not one to be coveted, oh, we're so blessed. Really? <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't see that coming. Of course you didn't, because we don't understand. He goes on to say, and I got just a few more things, and we're going to respond in worship. The benefits of being in Christ. Not only are you blessed, and not only do you have every heavenly blessing, not only are you a saint, not only do you have grace, not only is peace yours, not only is your faithfulness in Christ, verse 4 says, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. How many guys woke up this morning and uh, you began to address yourself as holy and blameless? <laughs> you saw your kids coming down the stairs, like, hey, look at me, holy and blameless, isn't this great? Or you looked in the mirror, holy, oh, holy and blameless, I don't even need to comb that, that's good. He declares this because we don't feel this. He says, God chose you to be this way. God, in him, in and of yourself, you're not holy and not blameless. Okay, you're unholy and you're to blame. You did it yourself. He says, all right, I got, I got something for you. It's gonna freak you out, okay? I'm gonna put you in my son. He's gonna be the one I'm well pleased in. And when you believe that gospel and you trust him, you find yourself as being chosen and predestined. It's another strong word he uses in verse five, to be holy and without blame. I like that word chosen in verse four. And I need you to consider it for yourself this morning. When you choose something, you consider it well. You make your choice. You look at the menu. Man, menu decisions are so stressful. You don't want to get the wrong thing. I don't want to order something bad. You don't want to order the thing I like. When God was looking, he chose you before the foundation of the world. He predestined you let me just ask you a question, theological question. Can God learn anything? Can God be, is God surprised? Did, did God pull his phone out on uh, Friday and take pictures of the rainbows because he'd never seen one before? <laughs> Man, we're all such freaks. Like, oh, a rainbow, never seen that before. I, I took one too. <laughs> a rainbow, you know, freak out. God's not surprised. God's not learning anything. God knows all things, Okay. Therefore, those who become his, those who choose him, those who find themselves submitting to God's grace in his offer of salvation, he chose you before the foundation of the world to do so. He knew you would be his. One commentator said, it's a good thing he chose me before the foundation of the world because he probably wouldn't have chosen me after. <laughs> God chose you to be in him. I don't know what that does to you. I hope it freaks you out a little bit. You've been on the backstop of the baseball field. Okay, we're picking teams. Everyone line up. And you're like, oh, I'll just be on this team over here. Can I just pick myself to be on this team? And, say, and you, I'll take you, you, you. And all of a sudden, they're picking by threes not to make people feel bad. You know, and you three over here. And you know what it's like to not be picked, to be overlooked. And God would say, if you would believe me, you're going to be chosen before the foundation of the world, to be holy and to be blameless, verse five, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ 
to himself. This word adoption is used in the scriptures a number of times, and in our culture uh, makes perfect sense uh, that one would be adopted into a family, that one who has no family would be translated into a family, that they would be part of this dynamic, that they would be loved, be chosen. And this speaks exactly of that, that you who were fatherless have been given a father, that you who had no family have been adopted into the family of God in Christ. Uh, next week, I'll talk about what it means in a Roman context. In the Roman citizenship here, an adoption means something entirely different, something entirely, I would say, even more as we are given an inheritance and a lineage and as this, this family deity and this family line and this family name is continued through adoption. Can you imagine that God chose you to continue his family line? I'm gonna expand my family. You'll, you'll do good. You'll do good. You'll be an ambassador of heaven. I'm gonna adopt you in. I'm choosing you. Uh, throughout the ages, uh, churches have been um, involved in adoption of orphans and, and orphanages. It's just, it's part of God's culture. It's part of God's heritage uh, to adopt, uh, to accept, and to predestine according to the good pleasure of his will. Now, I got to ask you this question because it's coming up in your mind. Why would God do all this? Why would he, why, you, you, should, you should ask that question. What is God up to? Why did God who made the heaven and the earth and the cosmos and the atoms and the galaxies and the grass and all the big and all the small go to such great lengths to do this? Look at verse six with me and we'll end with this verse as we consider it. He did this to the praise of the glory of his grace to which he made us accepted in the beloved. Did you know that when God made all things it showed and showered and shouted his glory and goodness. I was thinking about shooting stars. Don't you guys love shooting stars? Like you feel so special when you see a shooting star. When you don't see a shooting star, you're not special. What the heck's that about? Just go out there and look at the stars that shine, not the ones that shoot. And be special. He made those for you. Trip. He made those to the praise of the glory of his grace. He made all things to demonstrate and to illustrate his craziness so you would fall in love with him. Sunsets. My son this morning, Noah, he came and got me. He said, Dad, come here. Stand right here. Dad, Dad, come here. Come here. And I stood right there and we looked out over into the west and the clouds were there and the sun was coming up and the clouds were all pink. My son loves sunsets and sunrises and, and rainbows. And I was like, that's God, dude. God's doing that right now. He's showing us his glory right now. And as he says and declares, you're accepted, you're adopted, you're sealed, you're beloved, you're faithful, you're graced, you have peace, you're a saint, you're all of these things in Christ. It's to the praise and honor or praise and glory of his grace. It's that way we would freak out and take our phones out and take a selfie with God. Take us, look at it. I'm accepted, no way. I'm predestined, no way. I'm chosen, no way. Look at God and praise and glorify him more and more. This is the secret sauce of life. Your primary identity is in Christ. Your secondary identity, you're probably already thinking about it. It's where you're gonna have lunch. That's fine. It's, it's what your honey does. You got some homework, you got some stuff to do. You got, some, some, you got stuff to do. I get it, I get it. Man, do it with joy. Do it with great peace and great hope because God's given to you riches in Christ. You didn't deserve it. You can't earn it. And you can't lose it if it's in Christ. People often ask, and I'll talk about this next week, if a Christian can lose their salvation. Okay, a better question is, is can Christ lose a Christian? 
freak out on that a little bit. You think Jesus is up in heaven like, oh, I don't lose anybody today. He's not like you, okay? He doesn't lose stuff. You're sealed. You're filled. You're equipped. He's given to you all the riches that are in Christ Jesus. As a matter of fact, read verse 7 with me. We'll start here next week. He says, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. Forgiveness of sins, redemption, his blood. It has been done. It is purchased. His blood was spilled for this reason and for this reason alone to redeem sinful men, sinful women in order that his family would grow, in order that his name would be glorified. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up as we bow our heads, close our eyes, and respond by celebrating the redemption that comes through Jesus Christ. Fathers, we prepare to now take communion. We do so celebrating what it means that the body of Christ was broken, the blood of Christ was spilled because we couldn't do it on our own. There isn't enough faith in this room outside of Christ to accomplish anything. And so Christ came to live and to die on our behalf that in our sin we might find a savior. That in our conviction, we might run towards grace. And in Jesus' name, if there's anybody here today that would say, my conscience is soft enough to be convicted by the Lord, and I want to repent of my sin, and I want to be changed, and I need God to save my soul from myself. I need Jesus Christ to be my Savior. I need him to save me from my sin and to promise to me that he'll take me to heaven when I die and to live with me until then and to fill me with the graces of God to make me a saint, to make me beloved, to make me called, to make me faithful, to give me grace, to give me blessing. If that's you, would you just raise your hand right now and say, I, I need Jesus. I'm going to humble myself. I would like that grace to flow low and to come to me right now. I'm not going to be stubborn, not going to be prideful. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I, I need Jesus Christ to be my Savior. He is God in heaven and he is God in my life. Raise your hand right now. Lord, you see the hands. I pray you would do the work. Maybe you're a Christian here today. You are saved. You're going to heaven, but you're acting like the man marooned on the island with a package you haven't opened in years. There's resources and riches in Christ you haven't even considered. You're just trying to figure it out on the daily. Your secondary identity has overwhelmed you. It's taken over. You forgot. You forgot that you're a spirit having a human experience. And your human experience is going to keep going. you got responsibilities. you got a job. But you want to do it different. Maybe you're a Christian here and you want to do it different. You want to love your spouse well. You want to love your kids well. You want to pay your bills well. You want to fight that disease in your body well. You want to get right with your boss well. Would you just raise your hand right now? And let your primary identity establish you as you navigate through life. Lord, mine's up. I want my primary identity to, to be what gives me a smile on my face. Not my secondary successes. May all that I do, may all that we do, Lord, be to the praise, honor, and glory of Jesus Christ. We commune now in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Would you all stand with me? And when you're ready to take Believer's Communion, come down the center aisle, take your communion elements back to the side aisles, to your chairs, as you celebrate what Jesus has done for you. There's people on my right and left to pray for you during this time as well. Come down the center aisles.